Good morning. <clears throat> welcome to First Church this morning. We especially want to welcome all of our visitors here today and those listening on the radio this morning. We have a few announcements to start the service this morning. The roses on the altar this morning are on our two couples celebrating wedding anniversaries. Jerry and Judy Holster celebrate 51 years on March 4th. Dennis and Joan Henson celebrate 53 years on March 5th. Congratulations. Today, three of our confirmation students will share their faith statements during the service with us. They've been working hard on their faith statements and are excited to share them with their church family. Uh, due to this, we will probably, or we will, uh, forego uh, greeting time. Uh, so that is not in our bulletin this morning. Well, also, congratulations to Austin and Alicia Luck on the birth of their sons, Beckham and Kaylin, who arrived on Wednesday, February 28th. Welcome home by Big Brother Mathis. Grandparents are Stan, Stan and Tammy Stanford and Tracy Luck. Great-grandparents are Connie Cardanier and Lee and Gloria Scherer. Wonderful Wednesdays are in full swing. If you haven't joined us on Wednesday night yet, we encourage you to come for dinner, which is served at 545. This week, Jake and Tori are cooking for us, and the menu is in the bulletin. There are a lot of other announcements in the bulletin. Please take a look at them and, uh, as they pertain to you. So. Let's join me in the call to worship from Psalm 40, verses 1 through 5. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, that he will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who is not always in the ground, to those who turn aside and Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you, for I do speak and tell of your deeds. They would be too many to declare. And now we will stand and sing, Blessed be your name.
you guys today? Awesome. So how are we doing today? Are we good? Hey, what did you think of that warm weather yesterday? Was it good? Okay, you got to play outside a little bit? Well, who can tell me what season in the church are we in right now? It is March. That's good. But what do we call this time? Yep, it's still winter. Lent. There we go. It's Lent. Okay, it's Lent. And Lent is when we get ourselves ready for what? Easter. And what is so special about Easter? Yes, we do. We do get to collect eggs. And you know, Easter is like one of these holidays where there's two parts to it. There's the Easter bunny part, and then there is the Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead part. We're going to focus on the Jesus rose from the dead for us here right now. Okay? So, this season of Lent is about stopping, looking, and listening. Okay? When we're out and about, let's say mom and dad are taking us to Dairy Queen. All right? And we're getting ready, but we're parked in the parking lot, and we've got to cross that drive light that's in front of the store. So what do we need to do before we just bolt out of the van and run into the store? Do we need to stop and look and listen? Yeah. Exactly. We have to look for cars to make sure we're going to be safe. Well, Lent is like that. Lent is like a time to stop, stop, slow down, look, look at, look around you, open up your Bible, okay, and listen. Listen to the stories about Jesus and how he was showing his followers that he was God's son, okay? He was doing miracles, but in order for us to prepare our hearts for Christmas, we need to stop and slow down. We need to look at the things that we have and be thankful for them and realize that Jesus died on the cross for us for those things. And we need to listen because Jesus is talking to us. But we have to stop and look and listen for him. Okay? So, who knows that crossing the street was so much like listening for God? Okay, so as we go out this week, I want us to think about that. I want us to think about how we're going to stop and slow down and listen for God and look around for all the things he has blessed us with. Let's say a quick prayer. Dear God, help us to always remember to take time to stop, look, and listen when we are crossing the street, but also help us to stop Look and listen, especially during this time of Lent. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Maria. This time I want to invite forward three of our confirmation students. We have Matthew Michael, uh, Noah Pax, and Erica Weedock. We'll be sharing our, their confirmation faith statements this morning. Just a little bit of introduction uh, as to why we're doing this today. Obviously today is not Confirmation Sunday. 
But we are having, um, throughout the month of March, our students take time during each service and read their faith statements. Uh, we have 12 students this year who will be confirmed, which is amazing. Uh, but that also means that it will be nearly impossible to fit all of their faith statements as well as the other aspects of Confirmation Sunday all in one service. And so over the course of this month, we're going to be hearing from their faith statements um, on, a, on a regular basis, uh, a few different kids each week leading up to Confirmation Sunday when we'll be doing uh, the rest of the confirming that morning. Uh, so today, uh, Matthew, Noah, and Erica will be kicking us off. And so um, let's, let's say a word of prayer for them and, uh, and, and can't wait to hear what they have to share with us today. Father, thank you for uh, these first confirmation students who will be uh, getting us started hearing their faith statements. And, and I thank you for their willingness uh, to be up here. I thank you for uh, what this represents, them proclaiming their faith and affirming their faith, Lord, in front of this congregation and in front of you. I pray that you would calm their hearts and their minds, Lord, as they share. I pray you give them clarity and focus. And, uh, and Lord, I thank you for their willingness, Lord, to, to stand in front and to proclaim their faith in you. And I pray that this would be a benefit to them, as well as to all who hear it this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Matthew, I believe you're going first. If you guys want to come forward and, and just say your name before you get started. I didn't tell you that part. But that'll help us here as a congregation, but also our radio listeners know who's, who's sharing. So, My name is Matthew. My life verse is Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I believe God created heaven and earth and everything on it. God has a good plan for me that gives me hope and a future. God can help me when I am in need. I hope in him and he gives me strength when I am weary and gives me power when I am weak. When I am afraid, Isaiah 41:13 says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. I know his word is true. I believe Jesus is God's son. God set himself down in the flesh so we could be forgiven and have, a, and have a relationship with him. We can depend on him, and he always knows what's best. I depend on him when I am in fear and when I am weak. He never sinned and lived a perfect life, but he never expects us to be perfect. Jesus loves me even though I am a sinner. I depend on Jesus for my salvation. Romans, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus is my Savior, and by trusting in Him, I can have eternal life with God in heaven. As a believer in Jesus, I have the Holy Spirit within my heart to be my helper. I believe the Holy Spirit is God's heavenly spirit inside of me. He talks to my conscience to help me know what God wants me to do. Even though I can't see the Holy Spirit, I can feel His presence. He helps me overcome temptations. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, so I know that when he speaks to me in my heart, what he says will be right and true and what is best for me. As a young person, I plan to live up my faith by praying, reading the Bible, and fellowshipping with other believers. Prayer is important to build my relationship with Christ. I can learn to know when God is speaking to me the more time I spend talking with him. I plan to read God's word to help me know God better. His word will tell me how he wants me to live and more about his character. I want to be with other believers that will encourage me to walk closely with Christ and can help me overcome temptations. I plan to show God's love to others by my actions as well. 
I plan to keep attending church services, youth group, and Bible studies to stay rooted in Christ, even after confirmation. I serve him by helping where I can, like vacation Bible school, wonderful Wednesdays, and mission trips. I will be an inspiration to younger kids by encouraging them to never give up and always trust God. I will pray for opportunities to tell others about Jesus so that they will know the hope that I have. My name is Erica Weedock. My life first is 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. God is my Heavenly Father. He shows His love for us by providing us with all our needs. He has a plan that I can see working in others and in me. An example is when I witnessed how He worked in the youth group and me on our mission trip this past summer. We grew in a relationship and got to see what others believe about God and Christ and how they live out their faith. I know that God has the power to see and know my heart. I believe that He sees joy and love in me. We do not always know the plan that God has for us, but I know he will always lead me the right way if I continue to follow him. When I think of Jesus, I think of a neighbor. He is always there to lend a helping hand. When one of my teammates was injured, we were comforted by Christ. We knew there was an open line of communication between Jesus and us, and we were able to give our concerns over to him through prayer. Jesus is also like an eraser because he wipes away our sins in order to give us a fresh start. I feel forgiven and freed knowing that Jesus died on the cross for me. To me, Jesus is like a middleman because he forgave our sins so that we could have a relationship with God the Father. The Holy Spirit is like a counselor in the way that he comforts and guides us through difficulties. In order to have a good relationship with God, I believe that the Holy Spirit is needed in my life. The Holy Spirit is the constant in my life. It is my responsibility to acknowledge the Holy Spirit and to use the blessing of him in my life. Because the Holy Spirit is a form of God, he is part of the Trinity. In order for God to do his work in us, God sent the Holy Spirit to work in and through me. There are many ways for me to live out my faith every day. I plan to read my Bible daily and to try to understand what it says and what it means. I will also pray to God to thank him, ask him for help, and ask him to watch over others. On Wednesdays, I will go to youth group, and on Sunday, I will go to church. A good way for me to live up my faith is to help with Sunday school, wonderful Wednesdays, and vacation Bible school. I plan to support and encourage little kids with their faith by helping with these programs. To grow my relationship, I want to take the spotlight off of me and point it to God through praise. Becoming a member of the church means I get new responsibilities. I'm looking forward to getting to vote on important church topics like the repair projects and paint projects that we have voted on in the past. I'm also excited about taking communion. When I was little, I always wanted to eat the bread and drink the juice, but I knew I had to wait until I was older. Taking communion is very important and shows our love for it and acceptance of Jesus and allows us to remember what he did on the cross for us. I will always stay involved in youth group and help with Sunday school, vacation Bible school, and wonderful Wednesdays. Helping with these programs is a good way to donate time and serve the church. It will be exciting to belong to a community of believers. My life first is Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. 
I believe there is only one true God. I believe this because if I put my faith in him more and more, we will become closer. I believe he knows what's going to happen. He knows my future. I believe this because he created us with a purpose to serve him and spread his word. I believe he has plans for me. Those plans will lead to my eventual death and hopefully eternal life with him, as long as I believe in him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I believe people blame God for all the bad things that happen to them, even if they don't know or understand him. The reason they blame God is because something tragic happened to them and they refuse to accept that it happened. The real reason behind it is because of sin and the brokenness of the world we live in. I believe Jesus died on the cross so we could have eternal life in heaven. He, like God, knew this was going to happen and did nothing to stop it because of his love for us. I believe Jesus preached to many, causing them to drop everything they had and follow him. Much like then, today, we are asked to drop everything and follow him. That means to give everything we have, take up our cross, and follow him. I believe Jesus' preaching led to his crucifixion. I believe that if the people in Jesus' time hadn't decided to crucify him, he may still be here today. But that also means we might not be freed of our sins. It is written in the Bible that someday God will return to reclaim his kingdom. This is important to me because when he comes, to, he, when he comes everyone who believes in him, passed on or alive, will be welcomed in, into his kingdom with open arms. I believe that the Holy Spirit guides us to make the right decisions. I believe this because there are times in my life where I want to go and do something that I find out later isn't right. Before I can perform the action, however, I get this feeling that something isn't quite right. I believe that the Holy Spirit is God's messenger. I believe this because when we pray, either God hears it as we are praying, or the Holy Spirit hears the prayer, then relays it back to God. I believe that the Holy Spirit works through us and gets us closer to God. The reason I believe this is because, just like God, the Holy Spirit works hard for us to get us into heaven or for us to have eternal life. The only issue is, if we don't put in the effort for what God wants us to do, then the Holy Spirit's work will have been for nothing. I believe the Holy Spirit is with us throughout the day and when we make our decisions. The reason I believe this is because God intended for someone to keep an eye on us and guide us. I believe the Holy Spirit was with us since when we believed in Jesus till the day we enter God's kingdom. I plan to live out my faith in my everyday life by showing God's love. Some ways I could do this is, is by showing a positive attitude when in the moment it may be hard to, or love others even when it's hard to. I plan to live out my faith by asking myself if God would like my actions. I plan to live out my faith by going to church as often as possible and participating in group opportunities as they come up for me. I plan to live out my faith in such a way that I will have done everything God asked me to do. What I mean by this is every bit of work God will have wanted me to do will be done by the time I leave this earth, and, hope, and I hope that I will have served him faithfully in the way he will have wanted me to. I plan to stay involved by attending youth group as regularly as possible. This way I can keep up with, is, with what is happening in others' lives and if something bad happens to them, I can be there for them. I plan to serve in the church by fulfilling any role I can. I could learn how to run the sound system, for example, or fulfill a position when someone wants to take a break. I plan to stay involved by attending any meetings and ask, asking questions on any issues that may come up. I plan to stay involved by joining a committee. This is just one thing that I would like to do. 
but given how far I live from church, I don't know how well it would work out for me to be on a committee. I plan to serve by teaching in Sunday school. The reason I would like to do this is because I can teach the youth of the church what I have learned and pass my knowledge down to them. Thank you to all three uh, that shared their faith statements this morning. It's just such a, a blessing to hear from them and to hear the, the faith that, that they have and what they've learned over these last two years. Definitely looking forward to those in the coming weeks as well. Lost this week in an accident at Camp Pendleton, California, flight surgeon, United States Navy, Lieutenant James Anthony Mazzuccelli, 32, from Orange Park, Florida. One note uh, before we go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Uh, you see in your bulletin uh, near the end there, um, announcing our, our new hire. As you know, Susie Reinecke retired uh, and, and to spend more time with family. And uh, this past few weeks, the personnel committee has met and gone over applications and conducted interviews. We had three fantastic candidates, um, and we uh, would like to welcome Meg Reinecke onto our office staff, and so um, she will be starting early, or starting this week, her regular office hours, and so if you get a chance to stop by the office, um, stop in and say hello and, and congratulate her, but I want to just thank everyone involved in, in the personnel committee and, and those who put in applications. Um, it was a very difficult decision. Um, three very, very qualified candidates, and I want to thank everyone involved in and helping us through that process. Let's pray to the Lord together. Father, thank you so much for your, um, your goodness, Lord. Thank you so much, uh, Lord, for, for the, what you do in and through the lives of youth. Um, thank you, Lord, for the three that were up here sharing their faith statements this morning um, and for all that have been a part of confirmation these past two years. Um, thank you for what you've done in their lives and in their minds and in their hearts and, and drawing them to yourself and, and all that they've learned about you and what you've done for them. I pray, Lord, as, as we hear their words this morning and, and in the coming weeks, Lord, that you would instill in us a sense of gratitude and a sense of appreciation, Lord, for all that you have done and all that you are. Uh, Lord, it is, it's, uh, it's often through, um, through youth. Through, through the unexpected, Lord, that we are, we are taught and we, are, we learn about, about our faith and our commitment to you. And so I pray that, that this, these opportunities would be a blessing, Lord, not only to them, but also to us as a church, to hear your word proclaimed um, through them. Lord, I pray now that you would um, bless and honor um, the names that are listed here on our, in our bulletin and our concerns list. I pray that you would uh, be with them in each of their situations. Lord, whatever they face, whatever difficulties or hardships may be coming their way, we pray that you would be with them, that your spirit would guide and protect them and bring them a sense of peace and comfort that only you can provide. And Lord, we pray for our church that as we gather together as the body of Christ, that you would bless this time. Lord, I pray that it would be an honor to you, that you would receive all of the glory, and that in everything we do through our, through our uh, sharing time, through our music, through our prayer, scripture reading, and your word preached, that, that you would be honored and glorified, and that, that you would use this time to draw us to yourself and draw all those who are listening on the radio, Lord, to you as well. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As the ushers or as the deacons come forward to collect our morning offering, I do want to point out again in our bulletin, uh, as you know, at our annual meeting, we decided to do our offerings a little bit different this year. Uh, for the month of March, uh, the two missionaries that we support, uh, Doug and Kathy McLean, as well as our Daily Bread Soup Kitchen in Lima, will be receiving a gift. Um, and any, any contributions above and beyond that that you'd like to give to those ministries can still be done. Um, just mark in your, your giving that you would like your, your offering to go to those particular uh, mission and groups, and they will be receiving that in addition to the gifts they will be receiving from the Warner Fund. This time, uh, the choir will be blessing us with music.
Today we continue our look at the book of Jonah. Today's scripture comes from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 17, through chapter 2, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down, the earth beneath me barred me forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And with that, the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. You may be seated. Thank you, Adam. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to, to be up here once again and sharing your word. I pray as we continue our journey through the, the book of Jonah that you would uh, continue to open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to us. Thank you, for, Lord, for the themes of Lent that we see in Jonah's story. That there's, uh, there is so much more going on than the story of a big fish. But you, it's the story of, of your faithfulness in the midst of our unfaithfulness. And Lord, help us to see how we, how we relate to that in our own life and what we can learn from it. We pray that your spirit would guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to just kind of pick up where we left off last week, kind of bring us um, up to this point, that the, the story that brought us up to this point. Uh, the, Jonah is this prophet who had been called by God to go to Nineveh and to preach there. Uh, and and just, just like that, instead of, instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah fleed in the complete opposite direction and headed to Tarshish in an attempt to flee from the Lord, it says. And so Jonah went down to, to Joppa and he boarded a ship and set sail for, for Tarshish, this faraway land. And as the boat was out at sea, a great storm came upon it, a storm so severe that it threatened to sink the ship. And as the sailors were trying to do whatever they could to save it, they were throwing cargo overboard. Jonah was below deck taking a nap. And so they call Jonah and bring him up and they begin to, to pester him with questions. And who is he? What is he doing here? What is his purpose? What is his job? And at that point, Jonah finally admits, he says, I am a Hebrew and I serve the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. And at this point, they become even more terrified because they realize that it's, it's Jonah's fault, right? That the storm was upon them. He had been fleeing from the Lord. And so their only hope for rescue, Jonah admits, is for them to ca- the sailors to cast him overboard. To cast him into the sea. And at that time, the, the waves and the wind would calm down. And the sailors are a little hesitant to do it. They try to row to shore, but it's to no avail. And so eventually they, they, they pray to God, not their gods, but the God. Asking, them to, asking him to not hold this against them. And they take Jonah and they throw him overboard. And immediately the, the winds and the wave calm down. And that's where we left off. 
this kind of cliffhanger moment in the story. What is going to happen? Where, what is going to happen to Jonah? And, and what is God going to do in, in the midst of this situation? It's interesting. We, we didn't really talk too much about Jonah's motivation last week. Why did he ask the sailors to cast them into the sea? I think there's kind of two options here. And just to, to preface this conversation, the text isn't very clear on what motivated Jonah to, to come up with this idea. But I think we can, can speculate here a little bit, uh, given what, what we know of Jonah and what we know of the situation so far in the text. I think there's kind of two options here. One is, is Jonah is, is offering himself as a, as a righteous self-sacrifice. Jonah has a moment of clarity standing on the, the deck of the ship and he offers to, to cast himself into the sea for the salvation and the benefit of the sailors and the rest of the ship. And I think in a sense we can give Jonah the benefit of the doubt, right? That there was some, some sense of, of self-sacrifice and some altruism left in his bones that, that, uh, that, that may have guided his decision. But I think there's another option here too that we have to consider and that his being cast in the sea was one last attempt to try to avoid the call that God had placed on his life. It was one last attempt to try to avoid going to Nineveh. In fact, if he's lost at sea, of course, he can't fulfill that mission. And instead of going to one extreme or the other, I think it's important for us to hold both of them together. My guess is there's a little bit of both in Jonah. He was willing to sacrifice himself in order to save the ship. And yet at the same time, it would give him that one last escape, one last opportunity to avoid God's call. And I say I think a little bit of both is playing out there because we see a little bit of both in Jonah, the rest of the story. He does have a change of heart, and that's what we're going to be looking at today with Jonah's psalm, this prayer that he gives while he's in the belly of the ship. As he's sinking down into the watery depths, he cries out to the Lord for mercy. The one who had been running from the Lord this entire story has finally come to grips with it and has, has called out to God for help. He seeks out God's presence and God's salvation. And so in a sense, there is a, a change of heart in Jonah, and that's most likely reflected in his decision to be cast overboard for the sake of the other sailors. But we'll also th- see throughout the rest of the story that Jonah's still a work in progress. That there's still a lot of work to be done in Jonah's attitude and in Jonah's heart that we'll see play itself out in chapters 3 and 4 in the coming weeks. It's very much like us too, isn't it? We're still works in progress. God still has a lot to do in our own heart and our own mind. And while there are some good things that come out of us, right, every once in a while, there's still a lot that needs to be done. And so in that way, I think we can all relate to Jonah. And before we go on to Jonah's prayer here and that we see in chapter 2, I think it's important for us to take a moment and talk about the big fish in the room. Right? This, this big fish or the whale whatever you want to call it. Uh, We often think of whale in our minds, but the text here says it's a big fish. Um, It does play an important role in the story, but if we're honest with reading the text, we see it only plays a minor role. It's a a minor character in this story at best. I know before we started talking about the book of Jonah, most of us probably, when we hear the name Jonah, as we think about this book in the Old Testament, the very first thing that comes to our mind is the whale. Right? It's a story about Jonah and the whale. Where, but as we'll see here, 
The whale at most is a minor character. To say that the big fish is, is the main character in this story is like saying that the feather that floats around at the beginning of Forrest Gump is the main character of that story. Right? And, and the, the movie begins and ends with this feather just floating on the breeze. And it provides like this framework for the movie. And it is symbolic and it is important to the narrative, but by no means is that feather the main character. In the same way, the whale does play an important part of the story. It's the whale that God sends to rescue Jonah. But by no means is the whale the main point. And I think it's very, if we focus in on that, if we focus in on this, this big fish that rescued Jonah, if we focus in on how that was possible and the details of that, you know, just think for a moment what it must have been like to be inside of that whale. I keep going back between whale and big fish. Pardon me for that. But think about what it was like to be inside of this. This isn't like Pinocchio, right? Where they're just floating around with all this room in the world. Think of the anatomy of a fish, right? That must not have been comfortable. But if we just focus on those details, we miss the bigger picture. We miss the bigger story and, and what God is doing, not in, the, not in the fish, but in the heart of Jonah. And so we see this whale and all of Jonah is only mentioned in three verses. And they, we are, they're here in our passage today. Chapter 1, verse 17, and then chapter 2, verses 1 and 10. Instead of being the main character of the story, the big fish is the instrument that God appoints in order to rescue Jonah from certain death. In verse, chapter 1, verse 17, it says that the Lord provided the fish. He sent it. He appointed it. It was an instrument to, to accomplish God's will. And like the storm, the big fish is not a punishment. Right? The punishment for Jonah's disobedience was not getting swallowed by a big fish. The storm was meant to get Jonah's attention as we talked about last week. And here in this passage, the big fish is God's way of rescuing his wayward prophet. So the big fish's appearance in this story really serves as bookends for this prayer. The prayer is, is prefaced by this, by this rescue of Jonah. Right? He is cast into the sea, but God didn't allow him to drown, didn't leave him there, but sent this fish to rescue him. And at the end of the prayer, Jonah is unceremoniously dropped off onto dry ground once again, ready to fulfill God's plan and God's purpose. The interesting thing here is that Jonah is transformed completely during his time in the belly of the big fish. The Jonah that came out is not the same Jonah that went in. But that's how God works, isn't it? God doesn't waste our mistakes, our hardship, or our trials. He uses them in order to transform us from the inside out so that we may become the people that He desires for us to be. Like a precious metal right? that is, that is put in the furnace, not to destroy it, but so that all the impurities and all of the junk that's in there could be burned away. So that a pure, precious metal can be removed and can be used. God uses the trials and the pain and the hardship in our life in order to remove the imperfections. To remove those things that, that separate us from Him so that we can become the kind of people He wants us to become. And that's exactly what's happening here with Jonah. And so as we look at this prayer, as we look at this uh, the psalm, as I called it, because it's very similar to, if you were to open up, if you were to take out uh, chapter 2, verses 2 through 9, and, and were to just take them out and smack them in the, the middle of the book of Psalms, they wouldn't be out of place at all. 
In fact, there's a lot of verses, a lot of words, a lot of references here that, that are drawn from the book of Psalms. And a lot of the language is similar. And so we can call it a psalm, we can call it a prayer, but it's, it's Jonah crying out to God in the midst of his, his going down into the depths. And so there's two parts to this prayer that I want us to focus on. The first half of it describes Jonah sinking into despair. The very opening uh, lines of this chapter give us a summary statement of, of the prayer, while the, the rest of the verses, verses 3 through the first half of verse 6, kind of describe the situation in more detail. Chapter 2, verse 2 says, In my distress I called to the Lord, and He answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. It's interesting, for the first time in this entire story, Jonah prays to God. All this time he'd been running from the Lord, but yet now in his moment of distress, in his moment of desperate need, he cries out to God. It's like a child whose instinct is, it is to cry out to, to their parent in the moment of, of pain or, or surprise or being scared. It's instinctive. In the same way Jonah is, is calling out to God in his moment of great need. How ironic, though, that the prophet who had been trying to run from God this entire time is now crying out to him. The one who had been fleeing from the presence of the Lord is now crying out, don't forget about me. Don't abandon me. And how amazing that in spite of Jonah's disobedience, it says that the Lord heard his cry. God did not abandon Jonah as Jonah had abandoned him. God remained faithful even in Jonah's unfaithfulness. It reminds me of 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 11 through 13. 2 Timothy 2:11 through 13 it says if the Paul writes uh, the saint, this saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him we will also live with him. If we endure we will also reign with him. If we deny him he will also deny us. And if we are faithless he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. What a great promise that even if we are faithless, even if we are unfaithful toward him, he remains faithful to us because he can't disown his own body. What a great promise. And that's what Jonah is experiencing here. So as Jonah is, is sinking into the, into the watery depths, he cries out to God. And it's interesting to note Jonah had been traveling on a downward trajectory this entire story. In, verses, in chapter 1, verse 3, it says that he went down to Joppa and that as he boarded the boat, he went down into the boat. Chapter 1, verse 5 says that he went down below deck of the ship. And in verse 15 of the first chapter, he allows himself to be tossed down into the waters of the sea. And here in chapter 2, verse 6, it says that he sinks all the way down to the roots of the mountains. Basically, Jonah's way of saying as far down as you can possibly go. You see, down, generally speaking, is not a good direction to be going in, right? Nobody wants to be going down. And so it's, it's a way of, of the author here describing Jonah's descent from where he was with the Lord as his prophet to where he finds himself sinking down here into the raging sea. To share a story with you, when I was... At my, at my last church where I was associate pastor, um, there was an opportunity for me to, to help out um, with a graveside service. 
uh, the, the pastor I worked with was unavailable, and so the funeral home asked if I would step in. And this is new to me, right? This is kind of my first solo adventure in this area. I had helped out Steve several times, but um, this is my first time doing it alone. And so the funeral home was great. They worked with me. Uh, the family um, had not been connected to a church at all, and they were simply looking for a, great, a small graveside service with some scripture and some prayer. And I said, you know, I can handle this. And so I arrive at the cemetery. And, uh, and the family's gathered around the, you know, the graveside. There's the tent there and everything. And so I just kind of stay off to the side. I had, I had met one or two of the members of the family like the day before, but that was it. I had really no connection to the family at all. And so I, I showed up and I just kind of, you know, was waiting for the beginning of the service. And, and the person who had uh, passed away apparently was a huge Johnny Cash fan. And so uh, to honor his, his memory, this, I don't know, it was a friend or family member, had parked their truck maybe like 25 yards away from the tent, and they were playing Johnny Cash songs, like, as a way to, like, remember him. And I kid you not, right as the, right as the service was starting, right, the funeral director kind of gives me the nod, and I walk up to the side of the grave, the song Ring of Fire comes on. If you're familiar with this song, but the chorus goes something like this. I went down, down, down into a burning ring of fire. So I went down, the flames went higher. And I'm sitting there looking around like, really? We're going we're gonna to start the service like that? And nobody even flinched. Funeral director just kind of gave me the nod and I said, all right, let's get started. First funeral experience. That was a good one. But we all are going down, 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 aren't we? Apart from the Lord, as we, if we are separate from Him, if we don't have that connection, that trust in the Lord, that's the direction we're all going in. We're going down into our sinfulness, down into our depravity, down into despair and death. And Jonah uses this vivid imagery throughout the rest of this poem, to descri- or excuse me, the rest of this prayer, to describe his helpless situation. Right? Seaweed wrapped around his head. The earth was barring him in. It's a way for Jonah to describe his complete and utter helplessness. But two things to note here before we move on to the second half of the verse. One is that he recognizes God's sovereignty even in this situation. In verse 3, he says, It is you who hurled me into the sea. Into the depths, excuse me. To the very heart of the sea and the currents swirled around me. And all your waves and your breakers swept over me. Obviously, it was the sailors who physically tossed them into the sea, but Jonah recognized that God's hand had been in all of this. See, God allows suffering. He doesn't want it to happen, but He allows it to happen. And then He can use our pain and our suffering in order to draw us back to Him. God can use even the most difficult, hard situations in our life and bring some good out of it. I think it's important to note the difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction leads to repentance. It wakes us up to the reality of our sins so that we can turn from it and turn towards the Lord. That's what's happening here with Jonah. As he looked around, he realized that, that his decisions had gotten himself thrown into the sea. He had found himself in a completely helpless situation. And it was the reality of that. Waking up to that reality is what caused him to then cry out to the Lord and turn to Him. Condemnation, however, leads to guilt and to shame. It encourages us to turn away from God instead of turning toward Him. Condemnation is not from God. It's from the enemy. 
Think of Adam and Eve hiding in the garden after that first sin. They were too ashamed to to be in the presence of the Lord. But we have this great promise in Romans 8.1. Paul writes that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who have put their trust in Him no longer have to, to face condemnation, but we will face conviction every once in a while, right? God will still work in our hearts and our minds to bring those things to the forefront so that we can turn from them and turn towards Him. And the second thing to note here in verse 4 is that there is hope even in the midst of the darkness. Jonah writes, I said I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Even as he was sinking down, he understood that there was hope in the Lord. That his situation wasn't helpless with God's help. The temple represented God's presence. And he recognized that even in his moment of despair, he could turn to the Lord and he would acknowledge Him. It's kind of similar to Job in the 19th chapter. Job, who is known for being, you know, having the worst of all bad days, right? All of his family, all of his possessions, even his own health had been removed from him. And in the midst of him trying to make sense of it, in the midst of him crying out in anger against God and, and the situation, he, do, he says this in Job 19, verses 25-27, through 27, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end He will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. That's hope in the midst of despair. Hope in the midst of darkness. That's all possible because, because of the second half of this prayer. We see God, Jonah, lost and in sinking in despair, but the Lord lifts him out of it. See this change of direction. I said Jonah had been marked by going down, down, down this whole time. And we see in the second half of verse 6 that his direction changes. He had sunk down as far as he could go, but then the Lord lifted him up. Notice it's not Jonah who lifts himself up, but it's the Lord who lifts him up out of the pit. Jonah recognized that he was helpless, that he could do nothing to save himself physically or spiritually. And so God's salvation through the big, God rescuing Jonah through the big fish represented God's salvation, him lifting him up out of this helpless situation. And really, verse 9 is the, is the core uh, message of this entire prayer. Excuse me, verses 8 and 9. He says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, Salvation comes. From the Lord. See, idols kill, but God saves. People who trust in idols forfeit God's loving kindness towards them, God's grace and His mercy. It's available there, but they're turning their back on it. I want to read from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20, some of Moses' parting words to the people of God as they're about to enter the promised land. He says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, and to keep His commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day, you will certainly be destroyed." You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. 
This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God sets before us life and death, right? And he wants us to choose life. And he's done it all for us already through Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate during Lent and Easter, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, yet he has sent that Savior that we need. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose again so that we can have eternal life. And it's available to every one of us. We simply need to choose life and put our trust in him. See, idols are more than gods made of wood and stone. We all continue to struggle with idolatry even today. Our idols just look different. We bow down to things like power, money, fame, success, acceptance, pleasure, you name it. Idols can even be good things that we put our trust in instead, like our job, our family, or even ourselves. See, good things can become idols if we place our trust in them instead of God. An idol is anything that that we've derived meaning and purpose from apart from the Lord. So Jonah comes to this realization himself. God and God alone offers salvation. Salvation comes from the Lord. Jesus put it this way in John 14.6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So here Jonah experiences God's salvation firsthand, just as we can by putting our trust in Christ. See, this prayer here is a model of what salvation looks like for us. Jonah cries out to the Lord. He calls out to Him and he acknowledges his helplessness. He realizes that he can't save himself and that apart from God, he is facing certain death. And then he asks God to rescue him. He asks God to save him. And in doing so, God lifts him up and restores him. Salvation is from God alone, through Jesus Christ alone. And He makes us alive again in Him. And so this day, this Lenten season, Let us follow Jonah's example and turn back to the Lord. Return to God's Word. I mentioned earlier, Jonah's prayer here is littered with references and allusions to the Psalms. You see, in Jonah's moment of despair, he had God's Word to rely on. God's Word stored away in his heart and his mind that he could trust in. My prayer is that you would be able to do the same as well. My prayer is for our confirmation students who shared today and who will be coming in the coming weeks to share, that that what they share and what they've learned in confirmation these past two years would sink into their hearts and their minds so that in those moments they can use them to call out to God. It's also return to God's presence. Jonah had been running from God this entire time and finally he calls out to God and asks God to rescue him. He experienced him in a new way, not just as one who gives orders, but as also as the one who saves and redeems. See, Jonah needed to experience God's grace firsthand in order to share that with others. And that's what God was doing here, was showing, God, showing Jonah mercy, showing Jonah grace, and being faithful to him even in Jonah's unfaithfulness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, uh, for this example. I pray that we would be able to, like Jonah, turn away from our, our sinfulness and our disobedience and return to you. And I pray that in doing so, you would lift us up from the pit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
In closing, let's stand and sing number 275. Let's sing the first verse of How Firm a Foundation. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.